illuminating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Wow, it is not every day that we break out the Rocky theme, but today it was fitting. It's so good to be with you. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale today. Welcome to the program. And it's also the eve of the kickoff to the largest spanning pro-life event in the world. It's the Across America Relay for Life with Life Runners. And so it's a 5K. It spans every direction across the country, forming a cross. It lasts for 40 days, hence the Rocky theme. So we had to do it. And we're going to talk to the founder of Life Runners. He is a dear friend of Relevant Radio, Dr. Pat Castle. He actually landed this morning in New York at the Margaret Sanger Planned Parenthood, where my understanding is they will kick off in the morning, but also in San Francisco in different points across the country with a prayer rally celebration. And he'll be joining us a little later in the show to tell us about the Across America Relay, but also how you can get involved and you don't have to run, which is a great thing. So if you're not a 5K runner, that's okay. And if you are, then this might be the thing for you. So he'll give us the scoop on that. But the theme of race, racing, is apropos, endurance, fortitude, courage, and just continuing through the tough times, not giving up. It's such a metaphor that we hear all the time for life. And of course, in sacred scripture, St. Paul is keen on using that speech. We read it in the epistle to the Corinthians and in the book of Acts, Acts twenty twenty four. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And that leads us into our first guest on the program today on a path that started 23 years ago in an abortion clinic. She has run the race and continues to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And what you're about to hear, I think, is one of the most heart-rending, moving stories of a mother choosing life and then continuing to choose life, to be an advocate, to fight for the life of her own child, for the unborn, for disabled, for the vulnerable, and cannot wait to introduce her to you. Honored now to welcome to the program my friend, Christine Boyle. Hi, Christine. Hi, Brooke. So good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for opening your life, for for sharing your story with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. Well, I want to jump in with, well, first, I guess, let's put the number out there. I want to solicit calls for anyone who, if they hear their story, feels compelled to call to share their own experience, maybe an insight about a paradigm shift that they had in coming to understand the dignity of life or choosing life in a difficult circumstance like you did. It's one 914 That's the studio line. We'd love for you to join the conversation here at the Kale Clark Show. And so, Christine, I want to just, I guess, by way of beginning, read a post, just an excerpt of something that you wrote. It was after the Supreme Court Dobbs decision came down last year, overturning Roe, and to kind of have that set the stage. And this is what you say. Almost 22 years ago, again, this was last year, I went into the abortion clinic to kill Courtney, your daughter. I believe the lie that my life was over if I had a baby at 18 years old. I was scared beyond belief. I was hopeless. I was confused and ashamed. I went through all the steps to have the abortion 
And I remember sobbing to the psychologist that I didn't want to do this at all, but I had no other choice. And she didn't tell me I had another choice. And that's how you begin. And as we listen to your experience, now it's been 23 years. I know the anniversary of that day was just a few weeks ago. How did you walk into the doors of that clinic in the first place? Can you take us into that moment and what happened to stop you from going through with that? Maybe you can pick it up from that point. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I was a church kid. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, was a party youth group, went to church every Sunday, went to church camp every summer. Um, I was actually headed to a Christian college after high school, and it was about a week before I was supposed to leave for college that I found out that I was pregnant. Um, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I kind of stiff-armed him a lot throughout my life, but I, but I told him, you know, I'm going to go away to this college. I'm going to be with 600 kids that know you, and then I'll give my life to you, Lord. Then I'll really follow you. And um, so when I found out that I was pregnant, um, I was so confused um, for a variety of reasons. But one of them was like, Lord, I I told you I'm going to go away and I'm going to give my heart to you. I'm finally going to follow you. And so I just couldn't understand how this could happen and the timing and, and all of that. And so I really felt like I had no other option in that moment than to schedule for an abortion. And as you stated, I was 18, um, so I didn't legally have to have a parent with me or anything. Um, But I did share with a family member that I was pregnant and that family member went with me um, to that abortion clinic. But the night before that abortion um, appointment, you know, I cried out to God and I said, I don't want to do this keep me from doing this. Um, And that really goes back to being a church kid and knowing scripture and knowing what the Bible says about abortion. Um, And so I was deeply convicted. So the Holy Spirit was absolutely moving and absolutely showing me this was not the answer. Um, But the, the shame, the guilt, the confusion, the desperation, was was hitting very hard in that moment. And, um, you know, even that family member who I had confided in, you know, used that situation to encourage me to have the abortion as well. And so um, I remember just driving to, you know, was in Cleveland, Ohio, driving to the abortion clinic and just crying the whole time driving there um, with this person, this family member. And then walking through the doors and, and I really honestly don't think I stopped crying the entire time. And as what you, you know, from what you read from my post, um, you know, went through all the steps, you know, they made me watch a video on abortion. They made me talk to the psychologist and, um, and, and, you know, that was the best way to describe what happened with the psychologist. I mean, sobbing my eyes out and saying, I don't want to do this, but I don't have any other choice. And, and one thing the Lord's really shown me in the last um, couple years as I, I work in ministry part-time as my job with teenagers um, was just in a matter of 24 hours, two trusted adults had failed me and not provided me with a way out. Um, and I think that's really an important piece of many women's stories of abortion or how they land in these clinics or how they don't end up with the courage or the direction to leave these clinics. Um, There's a lot of coercion that goes into these decisions. And so um, the step after, you know, I was deemed mentally stable enough to go on to the next, um, the next part was the ultrasound. 
And it was there in that moment that as the technician was doing the ultrasound, she looked at me and she looked puzzled. And she said, you're really far along. And she said, you're, you're six months pregnant. And, and again, I'll back up and say only one person knew I was pregnant and I didn't feel six months pregnant. I definitely didn't look six months pregnant. And so in that moment, you know, I just started sobbing then going from sobbing of grief and shame and confusion to then relief. And, and I remember verbalizing, God did not want me to do this. And, you know, I know for those of us who love life and, and stand for life, that that is like a no brainer. But in that moment, I realized the God of the universe had just shown up in this clinic and made it impossible for me to have that abortion that day. He had answered my desperate cry for help that I prayed to him the night before. And so I knew I had just witnessed truly a miracle that he had set apart my daughter. You know, I was told moments later I was going to have a little girl. I knew I was kind of off the hook with that family member who tends to lean more towards, you know, it's okay early on, but not later in the pregnancy. Um, and, you know, so I knew I was walking out of that, that clinic pregnant and, and not having an abortion that day. I mean, they did go on to tell me I could still have that abortion, just not that day. They could refer me elsewhere. Um, but I knew in that moment that God had just shown up and had rescued me and met me right where I was at in the midst of my sin, in the midst of um, about to do a terrible, terrible thing the Lord Jesus had just met me. And it was there in that clinic that he saved my daughter. And that is also the day that I say, August 16, 2000 is the day that I finally surrendered my life to Jesus and said, my life is screwed up and I need you because I knew, you know, as much as it was a miracle and as much as he had intervened, man, I was walking out of that clinic into still chaos back at home. Yeah, well, there's so much in already what you've shared and the lessons that you have imparted, like you mentioned, the adults perhaps that didn't come alongside and support you and say, let's figure this out. And you, your, your child, your unborn child has a dignity that will find a way. And yet this cry, like you mentioned, yours is a story that demonstrates par excellence that our Lord meets us right where we are in our deepest need. And the Absolutely. turn of events is extraordinary. And also, like you said, that you had this encounter with God. And you knew that you would embrace this pregnancy in this moment when she said, you're too far along. And that was the answer that you needed to not have the abortion, to walk out. But what was it like walking it out of the clinic? Because nothing about your circumstance changed from when you walked in to when you walked out, mm -hmm. but you changed. So how yeah. how was that? And And I guess the months going ahead at that point. Yeah, so it was definitely crazy. Um, I mean, I had to go home and I had to meet with a lot of people. I had to go home and tell the father, who was no longer my boyfriend, <laughs> that you're going to have a baby in three months. Um, I had to go home and tell my cousin, who I was supposed to be leaving to go to Kentucky with for college, that I wasn't going to be leaving with her. I had to walk back into my church um, that had ushered me off to, you know, go away to this small Christian college and show up there and say, I'm pregnant. So there was definitely so much still shame, um, you know, just guilt. Um, you know, it's the sin everyone can see. 
Um, but I would say this, and this is where God just continued to be so faithful and do things beyond what I could have ever asked or imagined, right? Um, three days after I left that clinic, a friend of mine from high school, who was also a church kid, showed up at, showed up at my house and said, hey, my girlfriend's mom is starting a support group in Cleveland, a Christian support group for teen moms. Would you consider meeting her? And I said, absolutely. And so I met with this woman uh, her name was Betsy, and um, she sat at a restaurant with me, and she had told me she was a teen mom, and she ended up marrying someone else other than the father's baby, the father's, um, the baby's father, sorry, and they had seven more kids together, wow. <laughs> and she was working in ministry, and and she basically just spoke truth over me, because there was still then, even at that point, people were like, maybe adoption, maybe adoption, and she just looked me in the eyes and said, Jeremiah 29, 11, and she put my name in that verse. And she said, for I know the plans I have for you, Christine, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And, um, and then she looked me in the eye and said, did you ever think God just wants you to keep this baby? <laughs> and, and honestly, Brooke, I felt like a thousand pounds were lifted off my shoulders of like, it's okay. Like, it's okay to say like God wants me to keep this baby. And it, it just felt so freeing like that. That wasn't sinful at that point, that that wasn't wrong to think, okay, I don't want to put this baby up for adoption, you know? And, um, but she also sat with me and just told me, I'm going to love you. I'm going to walk alongside you and I'm going to mentor you. And, and that's exactly what she did for five years. She just invested in my life. She was there the day Courtney was born um, and, and little did I know at the time that this was the ministry young life, um, specifically their ministry young lives, which is 14 moms. It's, um, believing that re- relationships matter and providing mentors for teen moms and, um, helping them to be introduced to Jesus and grow in their faith. And, and this was a woman who just poured into my life. Um, I always say that many people were walking away from me in my life. And this is someone who intentionally stepped into my mess um, because things were very messy um, and, and also I think, just loved me. <laughs> you know, the what what fear can do to the mind. And I think when oh, maybe yeah. we'll touch on this a little bit later on, so much is rooted in that decision of crisis pregnancies. Sometimes there's violent situations. And so, of course, fear is a factor. And so I think your story, again, demonstrating that even though you were afraid and, and legitimately so, you had courage and you had faith. And through that, God continued to provide. And as you mentioned, this beautiful mom through a friend and how God's providence does that brings people into our lives. But then in many ways, this was just the beginning. You exercising that muscle of fortitude and peace in the midst of the unexpected and what could be scary really seemed to set the tone for what God has called you for for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. And mm-hmm. maybe we are up against a break, but if you could just begin to tell us then about Courtney's birth, because as you did decide to choose life in that abortion clinic, it was just the start. Um, and after she was born, could you maybe give us a little insight into what happened then? Sure. So she was born um, with medical problems from the moment she came out of me and um, she ended up spending her first month and a half in the hospital um, after she was born. 
And even during that first month and a half, I learned everything from she had some brain abnormalities to hearing loss, um, would need a feeding tube, um, and really just a very kind of grim picture the medical professionals were setting um, for what kind of life would be like for Courtney. Um, but God gave me such a deep, deep love for her. And from the moment she was there, I mean, from the moment in that abortion clinic, I mean, truly, I was like, just fell in love with her. And, um, and that was kind of the start of her journey into the disability community, um, into the medical world, um, and being, yeah, the mom to someone with chronic illness and disabilities. And such a champion of the sanctity of human life. And I want to get into that. Christine Boyle is here. We have to take a break. I know we also have some calls as well. I would love to hear from you. We do have a few lines open and I want to grab some calls on the other side of the break. one 914 is the number to call. We have been talking about Christine's story of choosing life at an abortion clinic as an 18-year-old teen just is away from for college. Christine, now a wife and mom of two, Courtney, Kevin, who was adopted from El Salvador, and we'll hopefully get to his story as well. She is also a speaker um, on pro-life themes, covering everything from disability awareness to adoption. And it's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. Much more to come with Christine's story on the other side of the break here on Relevant Radio and the app. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Explaining the Catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Blessed Friday to you. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. This is the Kale Clark Show. And starting tomorrow morning, the biggest spanning pro-life event in the world. It's the Across America Relay. It lasts for 40 days, covers the United States. And the great thing is that running is not a requirement to to cover that ground if you're not a runner. But if you are, then that's great too. And there are all sorts of creative means that you can do to accomplish the distance. But we're going to talk to the founder, Dr. Pat Castle, a great friend here of Relevant Radio, but he's also the founder of Life Runners and will join us to tell us everything we need to know about how to get involved, how to pray and support this cause. And again, that will be coming up in just a few minutes. And it's Christine Boyle now with us here on the Kale Clark Show. Uh, we've been talking about her story at the age of 18, choosing life at an abortion clinic after initially walking in the doors to terminate her pregnancy. Her daughter, Courtney, was born. Beautiful little girl. She ended up having significant disabilities. We just heard that portion of the story before the break. But God is faithful. And we will explore that part of her story, her amazing husband, her son later adopted. But I also want to get to calls. We've got a lot of lines here and patient, patiently waiting. So I want to grab uh, Margarita, if we could, listening in Austin, Texas. Hi, Margarita. Welcome to the program. Um, I just want to say a little bit of my story. I, um, 13 years ago, was uh, thinking about aborting my uh, beautiful 30, 13-year-old almost um, young lady, and um, uh, she had a accident when she was about a year or so, and um, she had actually passed away. And she, um, the person that did CPR, told me there was nothing there. She was completely gone, but God brought her back to me. So that was a moment in time that I was like, God knew exactly what He was doing. And as my child laid there that night at home. She said, Mom, can you see them? Can you see them? She was only about a year old. And I said, what? I said, and she said, 
they're up there, they're flying. Look, they're playing with me. So to me, it was the angels were watching over her and making sure she was good and dandy and God telling me, hey, I got a plan for you. I got a plan for your child. She will not go anywhere. And this is the reason I wanted you to keep her. So, um, and then my child was also near, near death as well. Back in March, um, she um, was bleeding to death. She was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And now um, she has accepted it and said, this is God, what God wants for me to have. And this is what God needs for me. So it's okay, mom. So it's, it's big lessons that this child has brought to my life and to other people around us. So um, God's plan is the right plan, even though we doubt it at times. Beautiful. Margarita, yeah. God bless you. Thank you. Christine, definitely sounds relatable, just how in those moments the veil is lifted. Yes, yes. Well, I think it just um, brings me back to one of the first things, you know, I learned then as a new believer um, was just the sovereignty of God, just that nothing that comes into our lives um, is by mistake. It's all filtered through his hands. Um, and sometimes that's hard for us, you know, even as believers to grasp that and, and come to terms with that, that, you know, God is over everything, right? Over disability, over, you know, medical challenges. I mean, the, the things we see, I mean, he's, he is over it. Um, and he promises to use it for good if we, if we let him. And, um, and I think that's just kind of the story of, of Courtney's life um, has been, you know, what I have ever raised my hand and said, pick me, pick me, you know, to have a child born with, you know, multiple medical complications. No, I wouldn't have, but I would say I learned very quickly. I wouldn't have traded her for the world. Like, you know, you just feel this incredible privilege of watching God use someone that, um, that the world deems as weak, that the world can deem as invaluable, um, lacking abilities. And, and Jesus clearly says in the Bible, no, 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 this is where I do my best work. This is where my power shows up. And so I felt like for 21 years of her life, I just watched in amazement as the Lord used this chronically ill, disabled child um, to just show his glory in a variety of ways. Um, I mean, it was such a privilege and such an honor to get to watch God work through her and use her for his kingdom. And you say 21 years because last year, I think in March, was it that yeah. your, your beautiful girl passed away? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Court um, went to be with Jesus. She ran her race. And, you yeah. know, with Brooke, I didn't even, it didn't even click to me when we were planning this today that like that was going to be a theme. Um, but as you know, my husband pushed Courtney um, hundreds and hundreds of miles in races, um, specifically lots of Disney World races. And, um, and and so race racing has always been a huge theme in our life and in our family. And she ran her race and she ran it beautifully. Um, she ran it for Jesus. Um, she was a light in this world. Um, and, and again, it was just the power of the Holy Spirit working in her. Um, I mean, I watched, I watched her bring people to Christ. Um, I have a niece who has told me, I said yes to Jesus because I wanted to be like Courtney and um, God used her. God used her incredibly. And um, I mean, he changed us too. I mean, he, he, he used her to introduce us to this whole world of disability that we would otherwise really know nothing about or probably not even care much about, to be honest. 
Um, but yeah, she, she went home to be with Jesus and, um, definitely been, you know, a hard year and a half without her. Um, but, uh, but same thing. I mean, just knowing her days were ordained, um, you know, I'd pray over her every night, you know, that he knows the number of hairs on your head court. I would pray that over her all the time. And so there's also that complete piece of nothing was out of control. Nothing was, you know, chaotic because uh, she was in the hospital seven weeks before she passed away. Um, everything was planned and everything was perfect. Um, no matter how sad or how much grief we go through, um, her days were ordained by God. So we do believe that and know that with all our hearts for sure. And, and I should mention, you know, your, your family's not Catholic, but this area is such an area of solidarity. And we know that, you know, mm-hmm. side by side with the sanctity of human life, the dignity of the human person. And in your own testimony, you talked about how, again, choosing at that moment, despite great fear and uncertainty in that mm-hmm. abortion clinic, that you would choose life and then the disabilities that your daughter was born with. But then again, God's faithfulness, you mentioned your husband. And that's another, I don't want to skip over that because here you are, this young mom with, with a profoundly medically fragile child and not yeah. knowing what the future is going to hold. And you meet the man of your dreams who loves you, <laughs> loves, you know, his, his daughter uh, adopts yeah. her and, and then you adopt your son. So maybe you could touch on that because that's a whole other yes. chapter. That's pretty amazing. Uh, yes, I know. I'm sitting here with a huge smile on my face. Um, you know, my prayer to God was, Lord, like, bring her a daddy, like, just bring someone who loves her. And if they love me, that's great, too. Um, but but really, God was so faithful. Um, I met my husband, Dan, um, at the church that I started going to when I was pregnant with Court. Um, I met him when she was three months old, and we were friends for 10 months. And so he watched my life. I mean, he saw us in and out of the hospital all the time. I mean, I couldn't work because she was so disabled. So I'm living on welfare. I mean, there's absolutely nothing glamorous about my life at all. Um, but he asked me on a date and I cried. I was like, why? Why does he want to date me? I don't understand. Um, but he did. And, you know, he walked. It was just another kind of like Betsy, another, you know, thing God did just to show his care and his tenderness of like, I'm going to put these people in your life who are going to walk into your mess and be my hands and feet. And that was really Dan. That was him walking in and just loving us right where we were at. And, um, you know, his relationship with Courtney was beautiful and amazing. And I mean, people who didn't know he wasn't her biological father didn't know he wasn't her biological father. I mean, they were so close and so bonded and I just watched him become this amazing father who and caretaker I mean he, he's he was an all hands-on dad and caretaker for her and just but also wanted her to enjoy life to the fullest and fought for her to be able to get pushed at Disney World when they had a no mobility aid policy at Disney World it was like oh no we're we're breaking down those barriers I mean he he just uh, just gave her a beautiful, amazing life. And then um, 10, well, 15 years ago, God called us to adopt Kevin. I met Kevin on a missions trip in El Salvador. Um, he was skin and bones. Um, he was 14 pounds at three years old. And then the next year I went back four years old and 14 pounds, five years old and 14 pounds. And God made it abundantly clear you are supposed to open your home and adopt this kid. And um, everything in us said no, <laughs> just being honest, because our life was already crazy. 
Yeah. Um, we made a list of pros and cons. And finally, Dan was like, none of these cons are good enough to stand before Jesus and give someday. And so we pursued Kevin. It took us four years. He's been home with us 10 years. Um, and he's also a medically fragile child. And, um, you know, God just made it abundantly clear, like our home is meant to be a place of hospitality and restoration for these kids. And we've been able to just love Kevin and can't imagine life without him. Um, but, you know, he uh, he's just he's, he within the, within six months of coming home, he went from this skinny, frail kid to this chubby little Salvadoran boy. It was it was just just beautiful to watch. <laughs> like, you know, he didn't have this, you know, you think of healing and you think, you know, we pray for people to be healed. And it's like God's healing was give him a family, give him that attention to detail and all of his care and, and give him the right doctors and just give him, you know, this amazing life. And it's been such a joy and honor to get to bless him with that. We are almost out of time and I want to get to a few calls and so much of the story we still didn't get to just the way you advocate for those with disabilities and, and adoption as we just heard. But I want to get to Raul because he's a dad. He's listening in Apache Junction, Arizona and a dad of uh, a special needs child as well and want to take his call. Thank you for being with us. Hi, Raul. Hi. Um, well, my, my, my wife lost all her water at 25 weeks. And so she was bedridden trying to keep the baby alive. Meanwhile, the doctors are trying to convince us to, to abort the child because there's be a lot of problems and have all kinds of issues. So we went to our priest and then he guided us through. And we absolutely, we said, absolutely not. So she's 20 years old now. We're actually driving home from music therapy. She's extremely, mm -hmm. uh, extremely religious young lady. Um, mm -hmm. she doesn't like a whole, she has autism as well. She has difficulty with groups of people, the restaurants, so forth. But I'll tell you what, when it's time to go to mass, she's rocking in that chair like she's at a rock concert. <laughs> and, and the priests just love it. The priests just love uh, it. Actually, some priests, they, they, they name her. The, and I'm just screaming, you know, that's how she sings. Yeah. Um, she goes off, starts singing and yelling with them. Um, and I can tell you that the Lord has given us so many blessings to her. <laughs> so many, I can't even, I can't even cut them all. <laughs> and and, and if you ask for her, we get up within, within a day's time, most of the time. It just incredibly does for us. I quit my job at age 50. Because I all the to God, I promise you, if you keep her from having seizures, I will spend the rest of my life to cure her. She has had a seizure in 13 years. Mm. Raul, the love you have is mm -hmm. immensely beautiful and evident. And so I know beautiful. we uh, we're almost out of time, but this I feel like we're in many ways we're just getting started. Uh, such a beautiful reminder of how God provides the meaning, the purpose, and what it's all about. You know, we live in such a culture of utility. What can you do for me and autonomy? And I'm just going to be my own person. And you realize we are a body. We are connected and we all have dignity. And your story, Rahul, um, and what you shared, Christine, I think is a reminder through all of it. And really in the midst of all of it, that was your greatest moment, this resurrection when you chose life in the midst and the face of death. So thank you so much. I guess any final concluding words as we wrap up with you? Well, I would just say this, Brooke, you know, having walked into that clinic, having been to a place that that felt like that was my only option, um, I, God's just given me a tender heart for the women that, that walked through those doors. And, um, and I just want to say to all of us who love life and are advocates for life, um, 
you know, God can still move. Even once those women walk through those doors, Jesus can still show up. And my story is a testimony to that. Um, And so um, I would just say, continue to be faithful, continue to pray. I know Betsy was praying for me. Um, praying for Cleveland teen moms, you know, didn't, I didn't even know it, but she was praying for me when I walked into that clinic. Right. And so, um, I think it's just our call to be tender, um, but also be courageous for life, but also, um, be faithful to pray, um, for the women that, that feel like that is their only choice. Beautiful truth, reality, and, and you lived it. No. So thank you for your witness today christine boyle uh is the best way to connect with you on facebook i know you're on there yes it is and you know i don't i'm working on a podcast i'm working on a youtube channel i don't have all that done yet but um yeah just my facebook page is christine boyle so if anyone wants to connect um definitely connect with me through um through that that would be awesome it sounds to me like you've been very busy in your vocation and doing yes. what you should be. So we totally appreciate all you do and we'll connect that way and look forward to what God has in store in this next phase. Thank you again, Christine Boyle. Thanks, Brooke. Thank you. God bless you. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. This is the Kale Clark Show. We will be right back with Dr. Pat Castle from Life Runners to tell you about the big kickoff tomorrow, the Relay Across America, coming up next. on special occasions do we break out the Rocky theme and that time is now welcome back this is the Kale Clark show it's Brooke Taylor in for Kale on this Friday August 25th just hours away now from the start of the largest spanning pro-life event in the world it is Life Runners Across America Relay and the founder of Life Runners is with us great friend of Relevant Radio Dr. Pat Castle co-founded the National Law of Life Summit a graduate of the Air Force Academy a former professor there as well, earned a PhD in nanoanalytical chemistry, served 10 military assignments, but I think the greatest assignment is Life Runners, what he's doing for the unborn, and so excited to welcome him now. Hello, Dr. Pat. Hi, Brooke. Thank you for all that encouragement. Praise God. Amen. Well, thank you for what you do. I'm grateful that you're with us with such a big event just hours away. I heard, did you land in New York this morning? I did. And I, and I got to tell you that Rocky Balboa intro is wonderful from the standpoint of in 2017, Life Runners made a 5XL jersey to put on the Rocky Balboa statue in Philadelphia before we ran the Philadelphia Marathon as a team. We didn't get to put that jersey on the statue because there was a guard there that just kind of gave the uh-uh, that ain't happening. However, one year later, I packed that 5XL jersey with me when the Life Runners went and did the St. Padre Pio Relay for Pro-Life from Pietrocina, Italy to San Giovanni Rotundo. So from St. Padre Pio's hometown to his ministry town in St. Pio, you might remember, Brooke, is the patron saint of Life Runners because of that encounter I had with him running up Pikes Peak. So we're there in Petrachina, the beginning of the St. Padre Pio Relay for Pro-Life, and I'm looking at about an eight-foot statue, about the same size as Rocky Balboa's statue of St. Padre Pio. 
and I look to Father Joe Coffey, now Bishop Joe Coffey, Auxiliary Bishop to the Archdiocese of the Military, and I said, Father Coffey, would it be sacrilegious to put a life runner's jersey with a big cross on the front of it, remember them born on the back, on the statue? And he said, no, he's your friend, Pat. So he helped me put it on, as well as my daughter, Paige. And so isn't that interesting that that 5XL Life Runners jersey I thought was for Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion. Instead, it was for St. Padre Pio, the Italian stallion. And that just happened to be the song that we played. <laughs> that is I love it. A fantastic story. You're such a great storyteller. And, it, and God is really. And, you know, I was thinking too, yes. because right, right before your segment here, we just spent the earlier part of the hour with Christine Boyle. And I was thinking about her. And in a lot of ways, that's why your apostolate exists. She was an 18-year-old, one week away from leaving for college when she discovers she's pregnant, makes an appointment for an abortion with the encouragement of a family member. She told a family member they drove her there. And it was at that clinic that she encountered Christ and decided to take a different path. She chose life. And this was a dramatic, this was a dramatic moment of divine intervention. But you have a statistics on life runners that it just takes even one supportive person to encourage uh, the the abortive woman. And and 78% would choose life. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I want to describe this encouragement. So the encouragement that they, that they describe in the survey is it's the smallest ounce, the smallest nudge of encouragement is all they needed to divert them from an abortion facility. For example, they tell stories of seeing a pro-life bumper sticker or a pro-life billboard, or even seeing like a, a one story was a woman was praying for a sign that she could do it, that she could, you know, give birth to her child and, and not do not have an abortion. And she was praying for a sign. She's like, Lord, just give me a sign. And she tells a story of opening her eyes up in a hard rock cafe in Los Angeles. And the sun was shining through on a mural on the back wall that said birth of rock and roll. And the sun was just shining on birth. And she tells the story. That's all she needed. So a sign, encouragement, a a, a good word from a friend, a neighbor. So if we have that divine appointment, when you're dialoguing with someone that's considering an abortion, I always say, number one, be sure to vote. In other words, vote for life. Say, hey, you know, I, I know you can do it and there's help out there. Another stat that kind of marries up, Brooke, with that 78% of post-abortion women said all they would have needed was a little bit of encouragement and they would not have aborted their child. Another related stat is that 79% of post-abortion women didn't even know pregnancy help centers existed. Yeah. Think about that. So we, we, all the people out there that identify as pro-life, pro-God, guess what? We are little mini pregnancy help centers. We're the ones that can point them to help with that encouragement. That is powerful stat. And I loved hearing Christine's story. Yeah. And I really think this Across America Relay is, as you, as you talked about being a, a mobile pregnancy center, each person you are missionaries out there. So tell us how yes. we can get involved, because I know not only does it begin where you will be tomorrow in New York, but also at the Golden Gate Bridge and in different points and directions in the country, right? That's right. And so this is how we can back up calling it the largest spanning pro-life event in the world. And I'll describe it. It's an event that kicks off tomorrow morning, 
in New York City, which we'll talk a little bit more about what that's going to look like here. Uh, it also kicks off tomorrow morning on the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. It kicks off tomorrow morning at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And it kicks off tomorrow morning at the San Fernando Cathedral in San Antonio, Texas. And it's going to begin these 5K segments, 1,528 5K segments that will be moving these four arms moving towards the center of the country. The arms will combine on October 8th in Kansas City, actually Overland Park, right near Roe Park, incidentally, the irony of Roe v. Wade and near a park called Roe Park, that's where it finishes up. So these little segments are being walked, There, people are biking, people are running, all kinds of creative ways. We had one elderly person write us a note on the website that said, hey, I'm homebound. I measured the distance around my house with my walker. And I've calculated that over the next 40 days of the relay, if each day I do a few laps around my home, I can add up to 3.1 miles and do a segment. Does that count? We're like, well, wow. yeah, that counts. Wow. I think and then that she counts said double, that people actually that counts and she gets it because she even described she knew the concept she said people come to my home i have people deliver packages i have caretakers i have family i have friends and i will wear my shirt my remember the unborn shirt so that's the big bring together that we're describing with that encouragement at the beginning of our segment the shirt says remember the unborn on the back and the front of it which we call our jersey has a big cross and a holy spirit dove and the verse jeremiah 1 5 that god knew us even before we were in our mother's wombs and that jersey is encouragement so wherever people are at on the highways byways walking around a park, walking around their neighborhood. You can complete these 5K segments, Brooke, on the course or geographically separated like the laid, the homebound woman I just described, off the course. So about half of the 5Ks are actually done on the course and about half of them are done around the world. So for example, we have about 600 uh, life runners on the island of Fiji. Who knew? And those mm -hmm. 600 you know, islanders, they adopt the state of Utah every year in all the little 5K segments, and they team up and complete and register for all those segments across the state of Utah. So we've got people all over the world. They're going, you know what? I'm going to grab a 5K going through the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. You can look at the, the course, the map at liferunners.org slash across, and you can see this map, and then you can get on the website and you can register for a segment. If you're near the course, fantastic. You can do it on the course at the designated time. Or if that doesn't work with your schedule, there's an option to say, I'm going to do it on the course during the course of the relay, August 26th, October 8th, but I'm going to do it at a different time. And that's fine. Why is that fine? Because the goal is to get people out there, Brooke, wearing their witness wearing a message, being that billboard, if you will, in their neighborhoods or down, you know, along some bike trail where the course goes or along a byway where it goes, where someone sees that and it ties us right back into the stat that you brought up. 78% of post-abortion women said all they would have needed was one sign of encouragement and they wouldn't have aborted their child. That's the Across America Relay for Pro-Life.
You know, when we were on the first break, I was talking to producer Jim with Christine's story because that quite literally is what happened to her. There was a teenage friend who she confided in after she decided she was going to choose mm-hmm. life, but was terrified because as we keep going back to fear is such a huge component of this fear in driving the abortion minded woman to the clinic. And then when she confided with a psychologist, like psychologists didn't indicate that she had any other choice. But then when she right. did choose life and confided with a friend, that friend said, my mom is starting a ministry for teen moms. And that one woman changed her life, gave her the resources, mentored her. You know, she had no idea she would be giving birth to a a profoundly disabled child. But because she had exercised courage, heroic virtue, fortitude, all these things that we look Mm -hmm. at when we think about running the race, it it gave her the strength. And it's changed not only her life, but an incalculable amount of souls around her and in the community. And that's what Life Runners is about and this beautiful Across America relay. And I looked at the registration. So as you mentioned, with if you are going to sign up and do a leg that will be on the course, a mm-hmm. lot of them seem like there are uh, a prayer rally that will take place at that local Planned Parenthood. Can you take, kind of take us into how it all works? Yes. I'll use the model for tomorrow morning. So tomorrow morning, you know, here we are in New York City, and we are going to do the East Arm launch. And and everyone just imagine this. Tomorrow at 8 a.m., we are going to be standing in front of the formerly known as Margaret Sanger Planned Parenthood, now the Manhattan Planned Parenthood, because even they know uh, that, my goodness, they can't even stand beside uh, such a background of eugenics and in ending life and culture of death is Margaret Sanger's name. They took her name off of the Planned Parenthood a few years ago. But so now it's the Manhattan Planned Parenthood, 8 a.m., a place where 80,000 abortions per year happen. And we are going to pray the Life Runners Creed. And if we end up saving about a minute, if you want to pray that uh, in the segment, Brooke, we can before the end of our conversation. It's a beautiful prayer, uh, ending abortion. We're going to pray that. And then we're going to walk with our, and walkers, by the way, if you're listening, you're like, oh, great ministry, but I'm not a runner. Fantastic. Life runners who are not runners are better life runners because you can read their jersey easier that says, remember the unborn, encouraging others when you're walking. So we've got 10,000 walkers, Brooke, and 11,500 uh, runners on our team. So about half and half. So we're going to walk the first 5K from the Planned Parenthood in Manhattan to Times Square. So picture this 2.7 mile walk of however many show up tomorrow. If we have more than 12, that's more than Jesus had gathered to start the church. I always kind of chuckle at that. Hey, we have more more than 12. What, you know? So I think we're going to have more than 12. So imagine a holy remnant, if you will, tomorrow morning, walking with a giant banner, an eight-foot uh, wide banner, five-foot tall that says, remember the unborn, two of them. Deb Miranda from Philadelphia is bringing her Philadelphia chapter, Remember the Unborn. Pedro, the New York City Life Runners chapter, uh, uh, chapter leader is bringing his. And we brought ours from Omaha. So imagine three banners walking through New York City from Manhattan Planned Parenthood to Times Square. And then when we get to Times Square, we're going to pray that creed again. And we're just going to be a message of hope and encouragement. So that is is what happens tomorrow. So yes, a lot of those legs go by significant places to market culturally, whether it's a pregnancy help center or an abortion facility, it'd be encouragement. 
And again, it's tomorrow morning and it goes for 40 days. Liferunners.org is how you can register, get more information, get that that shirt. Remember the unborn, Jeremiah 1-5. And as we just have a few minutes, could we we say that prayer? Absolutely. So, you know, when we pray this, just let's pray for all the life runners that are, you know, gearing up to represent out in this culture uh, for their encouragement. And also for listeners, we pray for your encouragement to do just what Brooke said, to go to liferunners.org, hit the join button, join Life Runners to get our monthly updates. There's never any fees. You just order a shirt or a jacket that says, remember the unborn, and you'll wear your witness, and that is life-saving. So over the course of this relay, Brooke, we're going to take 12 million steps wearing shirts that say, remember the unborn, and this is our prayer. So in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We believe in the dignity of all human life from conception to natural death. We run as a prayer to defend children in the womb, so that they may be born and united with our Christian community. We run to build endurance, for the race is long, and we must keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord. We run for awareness, so our culture will view all human life as a reflection of your glory, Lord. We run for charity, to provide support for mothers and fathers tempted to abort their child, and healing support for post-abortion women, men, and families. We run to end abortion, for Christ died so that all may live, guard us all, born and unborn, with your peace, Lord. For in you, life is victorious. We pray and run in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Saint Padre Pio, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. How's that for a launching? And if we have another moment, let's do the Life Runners cheer. We got a minute to go. All right. Okay. So, yeah. So, Brooke, I don't know if you remember our cheer, but it's all in Christ for pro-life. And as we gear up to give this cheer, I ate it. Yep. I ate at Joe's Pizza and a lady in line said, there's too many children in the world. And I said to her, well, Mother Teresa said, thinking there's too many children in the world would be like thinking there's too many flowers. So with that, we cheer people to seeing all life as beautiful flowers. Here we go. I'm going to give an all in Christ. Everyone give a for pro-life. Here we go. All in Christ. For pro-life. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you as you embark on this massive effort. Dr. Pat Castle, liferunners.org. And we pray for the intercession of St. Pio in your efforts as well. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kill. Clark today. Thank you to producer Jim. Timory has a big guest coming up. You don't want to miss her show. And of course, the Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. God bless you, Lord. Show us thy face and we shall be saved. Until next time, have a great weekend.